Welcome to Business Unfiltered, where we dive into the raw and unfiltered world of running a business with Mercer and Jeff Sauer. Grab a seat for this unfiltered journey into the world of entrepreneurship. This is Business Unfiltered. Welcome back to Business Unfiltered. It's Mercer, and I, of course, am joined by Jeff Sauer. And today we're talking about managing and motivating top performers. So Jeff, as we always start this, like, how do you define that? I guess, how are you defining top performers versus regular performers? And, and how do you look at, you know, managing and motivating? Yeah, so I, it's funny, I, I think a few words when you say that, and one is divas. <laughs> and the other one is 10x employees. Mm. And then the final one is pain in the butt. Um, because top performers can make a really big impact on your business. They can be somebody who who does exceptional work, they can do 10x more work than somebody else, which can be a great value for you. But it also might be 10x or 5x more work in managing them and keeping them motivated. So I've definitely worked with those people. I consider myself one of those people. And so um, I can do it from both sides here and, and get into it. But yeah, that's that's for me. What about you? What's a top performer for you? Yeah, I think I think a little bit. Obviously, the top performers are the ones who are bringing in the results that you want, right? And they, And they do it with less um, stress, you know, than, than you trying to have to, to, you know, put a bunch of resources into somebody else who maybe isn't doing that. So that's kind of how I see, you know, for the, for the amount that you're investing in the person, they actually produce, you know, an exponential amount more uh, for that investment. So that's, that's the top performers, whether that's managing them, giving them time, training, comp, whatever it is. Right. Um, and, and I think with this, a lot of it, like I, I, um, you know, with as with as little ego as I can put into this, I have been a top performer for a lot of companies in the past, and so um, I I see it at from that perspective a lot um, versus maybe the the manager's role, um, which, which I think sometimes can hurt, right? Because I'm I'm looking at it too much from the top performer's perspective. But as a top performer, I've seen this go really really well, and I've seen this go really really poorly. In fact, for me, just kind of a, a personal story, like I had my best job. Uh, working for somebody else was my worst job working for somebody else. It was the same company. It was amazing how fast it it became both for me. And the one was, you know, where it was the best job was where it was very intrapreneurial. So I was managing a couple of um, units of this company and they were basically, they give you this P&L statement for your team, for your branch, right? That they, that they you ran for the office that you would run or offices if you were running offices. And they would say, you know, your job, is to make profit. We will give you a portion of that profit, go, right? And this is a big giant Fortune 500 company. So I really, really love that uh, because I could I could tap into my entrepreneurial skills and yet I have the safety of somebody else doing payroll and 401k company matching and health and all the other stuff that comes with it. So that was fantastic. And, um, and, it, and it was really good for years. And then they got a new CEO uh, for the US uh, division. It's a very international organization, obviously. In this case, so they, the CEO was different in the US. Uh, and when they flipped that, she had a different perspective on how to manage top performers. And it came from the old Jack Welch uh, okay. model in GA, GE, where I was like top grading, right? Where it was like, you fire the bottom 20%, you, you know, show the top 20%, they're safe, everybody else is in the middle. You know, and that was it. And it was a it was a dog eat dog fight sort of world. And everything was very metric driven, which was ironic, given the fact that I went into a lot of measurement stuff later uh, in my career. But but I hated it. I hated it as a top performer because the metrics that they would do was like, oh, you got to make this many calls or send this many emails or send this many visits to go see somebody and all this other stuff. And what I didn't like about that was the 
um, it told me how to do my job. And mm. uh, yeah, we don't need your opinion. Thank you very much. If you figure out a better way, I don't need to hear it. In fact, yeah. I literally had that conversation with a management team where they're like, listen, you're saying you're coming up to me with ways of how to make a better burger. And I love that. But we're McDonald's. We don't make better burgers. And I was like, I got to go. Like, I realized at that point, I'm out, right? So I was this top performer doing really incredibly well in a lot of areas under this one strategy, which was like, hey, you figure it out and go for it. And that really appealed to me because I had the freedom and flexibility. The second that they restricted that and they said, you have to do it this way. You know, you have to make sure these numbers are hit in this way. It was these specific activities. Like how many phones? I mean, I was like, what if, like, I was really good at email. I was really good at doing that. I could get so much done with email that then they spending face-to-face -face and, and getting jobs, leveraging time, teaching these techniques to my team. All of that got thrown out the window. I actually made more money than some of the other branches, but I didn't make it in the right way. Yeah. And that was literally something I was talked about where I was like, no, you're not making it the right way. And I was like, I get it. But at the same time, I realized this, this, it's just too restrictive now. I got to go, right? This company is not going to be able to hold me. And I don't blame them for making that decision because I think, generally speaking, I was an outlier uh, yeah. for the rest of the organization. So, of course, you know, they can't build the system around me. Yeah. You know, so um, so yeah, I don't blame them for it, but it was it was definitely learning both sides of it. Back yeah. Then. And that's why so many entrepreneurs don't work in big companies because mm -hmm. top performer, I mean, top performer is a definition that's fluid and it really depends on each company. Like what is that company's version of a top performer? Right. So um, when I said diva, that's usually somebody who's at a company who basically can do much better than everybody else or can do more work. But but doesn't follow the rules or they, they make their own rules or they, they, they are the exception to the rule. That's what, what a diva is to me. Somebody and, who's, and by who's that definition, tough. I have to tell you, man, 100%, I was, I would have been a diva for yeah. you if you were, yeah, yeah, you know, back yeah. then, because I absolutely would fit that description. And, and most then, people you can put, you can, my, my dad told me this. He's like, you'd never survive in the corporate world. <laughs> my brother mm -hmm. told me that they're like, you're just not like, you're, you're not somebody who can, can conform to other people's standards. You create the standard. Right. And right. so that's, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously biased towards that being what a top performer is because of my experience is that I, I wouldn't be a top performer in somebody else's system, but I can be in my own. So I need to own or have a input on the system. And that's, that's really what stifles growth and why most people who are at co companies or corporations, um, they can, they can be a top performer by those standards, but they probably don't really like it. And they probably want to see what else is out there yet. They're so used to being in these confines that they probably wouldn't be able to survive in the real world. It's like when, uh, when Brooks gets out of Shawshank prison, right? Like, you know, Brooks was a top performer in Shawshank. Then he goes out to the real world and he's like, Oh, it's so open-ended or whatever. He's like, I don't know what to do with myself because I don't have the, the structure, the boundaries that I have in there. Um, so that, that's something around top performers. Now at the same time, when we were talking about this, I also, you know, some of it comes down to like a definition. So top performers is, is a definition that's, that's really relative to each company. But then there's this other thing that, that I was thinking about when you're talking is this idea of A, B, C, D, E, and F players, right? Grading them based on who they are. And, and I really do, I really thought it was BS, you know, talking about rock stars, talking about A players and all that stuff. I thought it was sort of bull crap because um, if I'm a good teacher, which I do, I educate people. If I'm a good educator, then I can take, I should be able to take a C and make them an A. Right. Yeah. But the reality is that a players to me is, is, is similar to a top performer and, and it works in a similar way. An a player is somebody who can do a work within your organization. They can, they can be the best at that individual role. Right. So an a player is somebody who takes the role they have 
and makes it better by 20 to 100%, right? It just yep. makes it way better. Um, a B player does their role exceptionally well. That's probably still going to be in your top 20% at your Fortune 500 companies or whatever. Um, a C player is is average. They're, they're, they're somebody who's just getting by. They do their role, but they're sort of like the people who are quiet quitting out there. They're the people yep. who are not really doing super well. And then we don't even need to get into the DNFs. You don't really want them in your organization. And honestly, I think that an F player shouldn't even have made it into the organization in a small company. You should have weeded them out and you should have had your test. You should have had all your, your hiring process to get there. They do, they do exist in big companies all the time. There's, there's, there's 20% that can be fired or let go at any given time in a big company because they blend in and they sort of snuck through the cracks. Right? So to me, yeah. So, so we're talking about how do you motivate these a players who are a, a yes and a plus, right? A net plus in the thing. And I think, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about so many things. We've talked about comp strategies recently. We've talked about these different areas and it's like, okay, well, one of them is compensation. One of them is knowing their motivations. I think you're really good about this in your organization. And I, I try to be good at it too, but to get to know the individual, it's like, okay, well, you have the capability of being a top performer. How do we keep you motivated to do that for this company versus doing it on your own? Um, that, that's an important thing. So if you want, how do you motivate them? And the other thing is how do you manage them? So you're getting the most out of them. So something I'm going through right now with a team member of mine is I've started to just basically take the workday and bucket it into three different areas, tactical, management, and strategic. And I have a team member who's really good at the strategic stuff, like amazing, but not very good at the tactical stuff um, in some ways. And it's like, how do I remove the tactical things from her plate in order to get her to get to this point? Right. So she's, I mean, don't get me wrong. She's very good at the tactical stuff, but she's just not, that's not her end game is to be a tactical right. person. So how do right. we motivate her? How do I, how do I manage her to the point where she has more of the things that she's really exceptional at, where she is an A plus person and less the things that where she's sort of a C at. So I'm not sure about you, but do, have you ever found that like a top performer might be an A plus in one aspect of their job, but then a C somewhere else. And how do you deal Absolutely. with that? What do you deal with that? hundred percent. Cause, because it's, it's again, it, for me, it's very role-based, right? Like a top performer in a certain role is not going to be a top performer if I put them in a different role, right? It's like a salesperson top performer. And I say, cool, now I'm going to put you in operations. They're going to fail. They're going to flounder and fail and take the company down with them because they're just not those people. So I think it is, it is a kind of like, you know, to use that cliche of, you know, the right person in the right seat. Right. Um, so there is, there is that for sure. And I think, you know, for me, from a, from a managing, I mean, obviously motivating in, in comp and, you know, we talked about that in episode 24, we talked about basically hiring top performers and, and how to get rid of the F players, you know, at the interview process in episode 22. But here, when we're thinking about management, it's, it's a, a certain amount of freedom that they need in, and, and, and I'm absolutely projecting on this. I don't know this is right. I just know that this is how I want it if I'm that person. Um, and I haven't so far found that this is not true. But when I'm talking to them, giving them, having them give input on, in their own destiny, right? So not a shut up and follow the SOP sort of management style like some companies will have, but kind of like, hey, here's our SOP. Here's how we're doing it. But I'm totally open. If you could figure out a new way, of, a different way, like that would be cool. Like how else do you think you could do it? You know, um, having, having so, so managing so they have an element of freedom and managing so that they can communicate back and that you listen. And I don't know that I'm always the best at that. I do my best, right? Um, I, think it's, I think it's important to have a healthy skepticism of your own skill sets. I'm not always good at that either, but I do my best. Um, but this ability, this uh, when you're managing somebody to, if they're a top performer, they have to have comfort 
to be able to come up to you and have difficult conversations yeah. for them, right? Um, or even for you to hear, whether that's, hey, you're not doing a good job as a manager and I need help from you, or it's, hey, I'm trying to do this, right? Like recently I had some team member that came up and said, I would like to do more in the company. What else can I do? Like they're mm -hmm. they're raising their own hand, right? It wasn't me going to them saying, I would like you to do more. It was them being comfortable enough to to chat with their their management team and say, okay, I would like to do more. You know, and, and we had that that two-way communication. So I think having that management style, especially with top performers, they have to have control a little bit of, of their destiny. They have to have that feeling of hands on the steering wheel and that they can change things and adjust things within a, a and again, based on role, right? Some roles you give them more control, some roles a little less control, but they still have some control over their destiny. Um, and then it's and it's to your point earlier when you said that we we do um ask them a lot kind of over and over again, you know, what, what's motivating them? Where do they want to be personally in five years? And how can this organization help? How can you use this organization to help you get there? Because if they're, if they're using that organization for some sort of internal motivation that they have to achieve whatever it is, right? I want to save a bunch of money for my daughter's wedding. Like, that's fine. Cool. We'll help you to do that. How can you help us, you know, build the company so that you can do that? And you, know, you have that result in five years. And so we tie it into that internal motivation that's maybe a little bit more personal. And it's not always company goals because not everybody is motivated by that. Yeah. Some people really are. They just want to hit the goal because it's a goal. And they just see it, so they have to take it, and that's and or reach reach for it, right? Like that's the idea. But not everybody's motivated by that. Again, some just want to like, I want to have my credit card paid off in five years. Cool. How can we help you do that, right? And they can be a top performer in their unique role, you know, without having to compete against other top performers in other areas of the company. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's funny you you take an approach that I I respect. I don't know if I always do that though. Thinking thinking about how I approach things, and sometimes again, this comes to me being a teacher is that I often try to, I think that managing it, managing to me is not always about asking what somebody what they want. It's about getting what the company needs out of them. And so to me, managing is somewhat, so it's, it's clearing the deck so they can be at their best. And that often re involves removing obstacles that they that they identify or that you see right so they don't even always know what their obstacles are exactly and and right. also like filling in blind spots that they might not know about as well because that's that's a challenge here is that not everybody knows what they want especially young and talented people they might think they want something but they don't really know what they want and and you have to have a lot of experiences and a lot of just different different exposures to know that right and and at a manager level you'll have more of that than the person that you're managing and so you have more of that and so i try to always train like okay here's where you could go so like for example my copywriter our copywriter who i hired as an apprentice i sort of like men put him into the direction of here's where your career path goes here's where you can take this thing you can either do it freelance eventually you can do it as here um if you write for dollars you get more dollars. So I created a, and introduced to him a comp plan in order to get to that point. I introduced to him some standards that he can go about things, how he can be more data driven with what he writes, which would differentiate him. So I sort of helped him understand where he was. And then he just rolled with it and eventually became um, a top, you know, top copywriter because of that. And he went on and started his own business. So it's like, that was sort of the way that I manage it is like motivated him that he can do that within the organization. But if it ever gets to the point where the organization can't help his ambitions, then he has this other thing he can go on. Um, 
But honestly, I don't really like doing that because you invest so much in bringing up talent. Um, you invest so much of your own time and opportunity cost that it's really pretty expensive to do that. Right. So, so it's like, do you want to hire somebody who has that opportunity? I've stopped doing that. I've stopped giving somebody who's super talented, the training and the pathways as much as I used to, because I don't really know if I want that person. I don't want that person to leave in that sense, which sounds pretty crappy as I say it out loud, right? That's like, I don't So it's like, I give people the motivation, but I also try to hire people or get it out in the thing where, where's their end game? Is it worth it for me? Right? So I've started to hire people who are already more fully formed versus, versus raw. Like I'm not like, mm -hmm. honestly, a top, like taking a raw person and turning them to a top performer is more expensive for the company than the money you get out of it. Almost always. Right. right? right. Like having an apprentice, having an intern, that is way more time cost. And so I think that, you know, more than anything, I'm trying to just, you know, we talked about this a couple episodes with hiring top performers. I want to make sure that I hire that top performer, but I, I understand that person is, is wants to be a top performer at my company not an entrepreneur somewhere else, if that makes sense. So 100%. I've sort of adjusted my mindset over time. And that is that I want to give, I'll give, but I also have to have the certain right amount of giving versus the the ask in order to have that in balance, because I've gotten to the point where it's out of balance. And I don't really like that much. Yeah. Have you ever had yeah. that happen to you before? Or do you look at it that way at all? So uh, maybe a little differently. So when I'm when I'm looking at so a a hundred percent agree with you. I'm not hiring somebody who is not a top performer to make them a top performer. You cannot manage yeah. somebody into top performance. They either are or they are not. So yep. you just hire good people, right? See episode twenty two where we talk about hiring top performers. So a I always start with that. However, um, I cannot. It's just I'm not built this way. I cannot look at somebody as who they are and see them as who they are. I cannot do that. I just can't. It's I, I just not how I'm, how I operate. I always see them as slightly better than who they are, who they currently see themselves as. So yeah. let's just say instead of, you know, a, a top performer who sees themselves as hundred percent, I will look at them as 110%. I'm seeing this expansion possibility for them, even if they don't. Right. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking them all the time. Hey, what, what's, what's motivating you? What are you trying to do? And that's the secret. I think to that you're not asking once because it's always the most current truth, right? One day they want to buy a car. The next day they want to pay off debt. The next day they just want to make sure the job is around because the economy is getting bad and they, and they want that. Right. So it's like, and I'm not asking every day. Don't get me wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that the answers change, mm -hmm. but the, the, the motivations, you'll start to see trends and patterns and what yeah. motivates that individual so that you can tie it. Cause for me, those internal motivations that have nothing to do with the company for a person, um, those internal motivations that, that just come pre-installed with that yeah. individual, that is their battery, right? That is their power source. So if I can connect what they're doing in their day-to-day -day work to that power source, I'm going to get better results. If I just say, hey, I'm going to give you my power source, which is money or comp, right? Whatever the compensation plan is, then they have that power source and you will get a certain result from that, but you won't get that extra 10%. You won't get that bigger. They, they won't surprise themselves. They'll do exactly yeah. what you hired them to do and they won't surprise you. They'll just match your expectations and you'll be happy. But I like surprises. I like that bigger thing because that's what grows the company. If they're not doing that, how's the company going to grow? And yeah. we're not... Um, I mean, we're, we're a decent sized organization, but we're not bloated enough to be enterprise level. And I say that in the nicest possible. You can see how I feel about enterprise, uh, but where large, large companies, multi 
you know, you know, companies with, you know, hundreds of employees, they've got the, the resources to be inefficient. Yeah. Right. Where they're hiring people who can just push a button rather that, that can totally be automated AI nowadays, probably could have been 10 years ago, but they're just used to it. So they, they have that legacy architecture, you know, but, and I can't afford that on, on the smaller end. So, um, so we, we, from my perspective, I'm always doing that. I don't know that that's the best thing in the world because again, whatever you did yesterday, I'm going to see that as like, that's you at hundred percent now. And I'm not, I, I am raising the bar, but I'm doing it a piece of, I'm not doing like, okay, now you got to be three times as good. Right. I'm not yeah. doing that either. It's just that I always see like, okay, well, now we did that. How do we make this even better? Right. Yep. Um, how do we get a little bit more? How do you surprise yourself in what you can do? Because if I can, and that is, it's it's ironic because you're saying, hey, this is my teacher mentality that's keeping me down. It is my teacher mentality that fuels that because I, as a, I'm, I'm their teacher to their student, right? And I'm trying to manage them and show them what's possible, tying into their internal motivations. And it's a bit of alchemy, right? When, when As a manager, which is my favorite part of the game, like you can create magic with an individual by asking questions that they've never been asked before. Um, the trick is doing it, uh, you know, like we do it on a quarterly basis. So doing it, especially with, with not everybody, but with the leadership team. And we'll do that so that we can kind of just touch base, you know, what they used to think was a lot of money in their savings. Is it still a lot of money to them? Mm, or is that yeah. now not right? That, that sort of thing to see kind of where they, what, what are their goals? Like it used to be when somebody started, they wanted $10,000 in savings and now they want $150,000 in savings. Well, it's very different. And yeah. if somebody did that in a six month period, that's going to be a certain signal for me versus somebody that did that over years. Yeah. Right. So the years one, I'm like, okay, a little more stable. The other one's like, okay, wait a second. Why all of a sudden is 150 the new number? You know, because sometimes you could, they can make the leap too far and they're going to fall because it's yeah. too big of a jump. You know, and I can manage them and say, well, listen, I love the 150 for you, um, but three months ago it was 10,000. What's changed? Right. What did you now notice? Well, I saw this other person how they did this and this and this. Okay, cool. I tell you what, let's get you to you know, 20, 25, and maybe you could, you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to help them in their personal lives using the resources that I have access to, which of course is the company uh, of which they're a part of. Right. And then we can co-plan together because they're a top performer co-plan how that can happen. And at that point there's better buy-in because it's also their idea. I'm not telling them here's how to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and it's admittedly as an, as an owner, as a manager, sometimes whatever you say, they just, say, okay, fine, I'm going to do that because that's why they're doing it because you, you did it. That's not yeah. always my intention. You know, I try to, I try to not um, make it like that, but that's, that's, that's sort of how I think about it. Yeah. That's, hmm. That's, I think that that can work in a small business. I like the intent. It seems like a slippery slope to me and I could see how that could be, that could get to be a challenge over time um, just because of the boundaries, right? That's, it's, those aren't the types of boundaries that I would, I would do beyond like when before I hire them right before they're an employee like hey what are you looking to get out of this thing like I would use that to help recruit them maybe mm -hmm. use the maybe maybe to bring them in and and just to understand where they're at and come up with my mental roadmap but I don't really like yeah how much do you want in your own personal savings that's that's not a line that I've that I've considered crossing in the past or or wanted to um because and I'm I, not saying like, that's the question. Don't get me wrong. No, oh, that's yeah, just yeah. a question. The whole point yeah. is ask about why they are here. 
Yeah. Right? And, and I will say, I did this in Fortune 500 companies too. It totally works. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's because it's, you're caring about something outside yeah. of business. Why are you here? I'm trying to do this, or I want to be a manager one day, or I want to lead yeah. this division. You know, okay, cool. How can we help you? How are you trying to get there? Well, I want to get there in 30 days. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. let me just, it's going to be a little hard for you to do that, but maybe we can do this in a year or whatever yeah. the thing is. And then you co create the plan, hmm. you know? But the whole point is ask them their personal motivations. Yeah. Because no, they, they, they know them. And again, that's their power source. So if I can tap yeah. into that, I, they're going to get better results. Not yeah, just I can see you make you a better manager. You can motivate them more. They stay a top performer. The scalability is, I think, challenging. And then just like the privacy part of it. Those are the things that, that you know, that, that you'd have to sort through, right? And, and you have to do oh, it in a way sure. I mean, I'm not sense. asking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you obviously, you know, like I said, this isn't like a, this podcast is never should be somebody said, oh, I have to say these exact words, right? No, exactly. It's, it's yeah. more no, the, yeah, spirit, yeah. the spirit of it, which is, yep. it's okay to ask them what motivates them. Right? Yeah. For no, some people, it's yep. money. For some people, it's stability. For some yeah. people, it's something else. It's family, right? That's fine. But yep. you'll start to understand that. And that's, that's, it has been so powerful for me. Yeah. Um, to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah. No, I, I, I guess I do that on a level now that I think about it. I just, it, it's, it's, it's more at, to what extent and, and how do you read the room? Obviously, right? Like I yep. have team members who are like, I want to buy a house and I definitely help them. And I, and I equate what we're doing to how much closer or how sooner, how much sooner they can buy a house right, and how much sooner right. they can do these things if they want to, you know, so I, I definitely try to relate it to that sense and, and put things in there. But, but more than anything, I also try to keep them motivated by being a visionary in the business. So my, my strategy for doing that is trying to cast the vision as to where we're going to go. Like, why do you, why should you want to work with this company is because we provide meaningful educational training and resources to, you know, our goal is to have millions of people go through that. So do you want to have an impact where you help 10 people at a big company? Or do you want to help a million people learn this new emerging technology industry, this new thing that they have, right? How do you do you want to make a bigger impact with people in a real way? That's, that's what that's what motivates people to to perform this thing, because they are at the cutting edge, they are doing the new techniques, they are in the company that they wish they had. Um, maybe the other reason why I'm, I don't do it in that formal way is because a lot of people who I hire are from the con the community. So they already sort of, they want to be part of it. So their motivation is to be part of a community that helped them get to this point, that helped them, that helped nurture them, that helped um, give them that spark in their life where they went from uh, a wandering generality to a meaningful specific, right? So those are the things that I can help touch on is that there is a purpose here. There's a mission here that they all have. And, and so I, I definitely tap into their wanting to do something that's meaningful. Um, and that's one of the ways that I motivate them. And then I manage to say, well, if we don't put these things out there, if we don't create these things, then it won't be meaningful, right? It, it, it's something that, 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 that will be more challenging and, and more of a more difficult to work through. And so, so that's one of the ways to motivate is by casting a vision um, at yep. the company level, right? At putting it out there and just publicizing that. I think that's that's more the, that's probably the scalable way. But I also really like, you know, on an individual, I and mean, that is part of management is understanding what motivates people and putting it in place. And so it depends on the level of, of management time that you put in place or the management structure you have as well. So I think that, you know, managing doesn't have to always be like it sounds like your organization's pretty flat or you have you leadership team and then you also talk to some of the the people who are you know branched out on your organization even if they're being directly reporting to somebody else or they're under somebody's purview you help with the the cultural part of it 
sometimes, but not always, because I'm trying to yeah. teach the team leads to do that same thing, yeah. right? So if I just go and did it, they're they're not going to build yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's so, why the yes, part. and yeah. right, yeah. Exactly. As your as your company grows and you've got you know team leads that are running your own teams, you 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 have to teach the management because that was a, that yeah. was a mistake I made. Um, was and 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 this and then we can you know maybe we can wrap it up here, but also maybe another topic. But it's like managing top performers as they go through the company, right? Because we have one person that's a top performer in one role. This happens a lot with salespeople, yeah. Um, where somebody takes a salesperson and says, "Oh, you're a top performer. Cool, we're gonna make you a sales manager." And almost 100 percent of the time, that's never worked, and yet yeah. people keep doing that, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it almost never works. It's so so rare when it does. Um, but the idea is that. You know, when when I when I took somebody that was a top performer and put them in and gave them a team and then didn't train them on management, because I assumed like, of course, they're going to know how to manage because they're just going to, you know, <laughs> but they're not. Why? 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 Why do yeah. you possibly know this? Right. So um, and I think the other thing on top performers that we both are saying is you, you get you get back what you invest in some yeah. way. If you're not giving them the opportunity for the communication, if you're not asking about what their goals are, they're not going to tell you they're trying to build a house. They won't even care about it. And if they're not caring enough to have that comfort about that with you to say, Hey man, I'm, tr I'm trying to buy a house. Like how can, you know, how can we do this? You miss the opportunity as a manager to have their buy-in on some new plan, right? Yeah. Like obviously you're getting that, right? I'm getting that. We do it in slightly different ways, but but we are both using the same technique, which is talk to them, have this communication open and really invest in them. Not yeah. all of them need training, but some of them do. And we go with that. Hey, what do you want? What motivates you? Does learning new things motivate you? Does playing with new tools motivate you? And if it does, and it's a motivation, cool, we can give you a training budget because that's what's going to help you become a top performer and, and scratch that itch that motivates you from within. Yeah. And, if the, and if we can do that for 500 bucks a month, it's so much better than paying $10,000 a month for a, a, you know, on comp. And, and yeah. honestly, from the top of merch perspective, they'll probably get more out of that 500 bucks of training than they would with a $10,000 check. Right. Yeah. Cause not everybody, again, is motivated by money, but it's like what you're doing with it. Um, so that's sort of like, you know, as we, as we wrap up on, on final thoughts uh, on this. And I like, I like occasionally these episodes where we don't necessarily 100% agree um, I think the strategy is there, right? We both sort of agree on general strategy, but tactics are different. And now that's what I love yeah. about this podcast yeah. is being able to explore and say like, hey, we, there's just different ways to do things. There's not a way to do anything. There's multiple paths to it. Um, and yeah. this is just one of those examples. Yeah. And there's also yeah. like just experiences in, in organization size and stuff like that, like motivating when 100%. you have five people, you can do it one on one. When you get to 10, yeah. 20, you have to be a visionary and you have to you have to motivate and lead the people who are going to do the leading, right? So you have to lead the leaders. That's really a piece and, and motivate them. So your management structure and everything like that, which is really important. Yeah, I like this as, one too. We, I think we as I type we, in visionary leadership as our new, you know, a topic idea that we'll be coming up with. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we both uh we both actually have a similar philosophy, but completely different ways of doing it. And I think both of us um maybe even opened up to some blind spots we've maybe neglected 100%. in our own business because I think that I've neglected a few things that I probably need to address better based on what you've said. So thanks for uh, the perspective, Mercer. Yeah, and thanks thanks to you as well. Because for me, it's that visionary leadership thing too. It's like, I haven't, I was doing that more than I have been, um, which is uh, a really a cool thing. So, so there you go. Jeff's got some stuff. I've gotten some stuff. Hopefully, you have gotten some stuff as well. Um, as always, we appreciate you sharing this episode, talking with others about what you've learned. Maybe talk with other entrepreneurs that you know, what their comp plans are, how they're managing people, how they're dealing with top performers, how they're hiring top performers. Is that, you know, that's kind of what makes this a skill, right? So it takes them just listening to something podcast that you've been exposed to new thoughts to actually using those thoughts building real muscle from it and that is what uh, jeff and i both wish 
uh, for you as well. Um, obviously, our selfish interest is that you're spreading the word of the podcast, and we appreciate those of you who are doing that, whether it's just telling somebody about it, exploring these ideas with people about it, sharing um, it on social media, leaving reviews, whatever floats your boat when it comes to uh, helping us out. If we've delivered some value, uh, we appreciate uh, you helping us out in return. And with that, we, of course, thank you for listening to Business Unfiltered. We'll see you on the next episode. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Business Unfiltered with your hosts, Mercer and Jeff Sauer. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and tell a friend what you've learned today. Want to connect? Visit us at businessunfiltered.fm. This has been Business Unfiltered, always unapologetically honest.